0: Greetings brothers and sisters. My name is Lewis and this is Budo the Martial Way and today I am not alone. We have with us today Matt Hogan. Uh, You may know him from Twitter and also the founder of Move Me Quotes. He's an experienced martial artist and I would say aspiring author. So I'm very happy today to invite our first guest for the interview on Budo the Martial Way. Thank you very much for joining us Matt.
1: It's an absolute pleasure. I've just recently come across your work and I am already a fan, so I'm happy to be here today.
0: So how how have we connected? Um, um, I, I'm sure we have some mutual acquaintances.
1: We do. I actually saw one of your spaces that was actually sent to me. Um, you were hosting it at 11 p.m. my time. So ah. <laughs> I had to practice a lot of self-restraint to not go on because that <laughs> would have got me all riled up and kept me up much past my bedtime. And so um, well, that was m- one of my uh, most recent interactions with you and after having listened back to that pod or that spaces that you did um, that was when I reached out through dm just to talk to you a little bit more about it so I I, I've, I heard you had a few spaces um, loved your obviously just twitter and I've just been looking forward to this connection so mm. that's I think how our
0: most recent interactions have, have unfolded awesome awesome so where are you you're you're in America uh, I am
1: east coast correct I'm a uh, buffalo New York
0: Buffalo. oh okay okay my sister lives up in um uh Toronto so I've been down into the state of New York but not into the city yes yes yeah, yeah interesting okay so yeah I wanted to start off talking about your martial arts experience you have correct me if I'm wrong 21 years of primarily taekwondo experience is that right that's correct. I
1: started, I was actually so excited to take my first martial art class that i memorized the date that I had my first lesson scheduled. And so I took my first martial art class April 11th of 2001. Wow. And, um, that was, a, a a Taekwondo class. It, we It was an ITF style Taekwondo. So it's not WTF. Mm. Um, it's actually closer to like a Shotokan karate style. And right. that is a little bit more of you know, the style that I've been associated with for my entire martial art career. So, long story short, with that, and I can go into it in more detail if you'd like, but I took my first class April 11, 2001, fell in love with it, uh, fell in love with the instructors, the art, everything that that school was about. And then slowly but surely started taking more classes, started coming early, staying late, yeah. started assisting other classes. Mm-hmm. And then I started to teach other classes. Then I was getting kind of like allowances under the table then I got hired, then I went to college so that I could become a better martial art instructor, graduated from college, got hired full-time, and now today I'm like kind of like the head manager running that location out of six locations that the school wow. facilitates. So
0: wow, that is my
1: full-time job, yes. It's been right. a, an absolute blessing because I'm sure you can relate to the idea that that is not common. Mm. It is not often the case that the uh, martial arts school can hire and you know adequately keep martial arts instructors and pay them full time like it is either the mm. headmaster instructor who is doing it as their full time gig and that is it and then they have a couple maybe part timers yes um but it is not common for a martial arts school to be able to facilitate a full time job and to facilitate multiple locations and all this kind of stuff so it's been an absolute blessing for me and it's actually been quite a unique experience because i've actually 32 years old have never been to a single job interview this is the only <laughs> this is the only job i have ever had and this is the uh the full extent of my kind of like career orientation focus so yeah that's that's been quite the journey for me.
0: Well, I mean, you will certainly live in the dream of a lot of people because, yeah, that's that's it—to take your passion and just go full time with it. That's absolutely amazing. Um, and yeah, and I know exactly what you mean. I, I had a very similar kind of journey um, with myself. Started practicing Muay Thai. Started turning up early. I'd, I'd go for a run um, before the lesson would start, and then you know I'd be one of the last people to leave. And eventually, I remember. Actually, I remember the first time I assisted a uh, teaching a, a class. We were there and we were warming up. And it was a busy day. There were lots of people. But Brian, my head instructor, he had he didn't turn up for some reason. We're like, where is he? Where is he? And then uh, one of the other like top students, he, he called him and he was like, oh, God, he, he can't make it today. He, he asked us to do it. And he looked at me and he was like, can, can you like, w- take him on the warm-up? I was just like... Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I remember it. I remember it. And and then, yeah, from there, I just, I, I was, uh, became an assistant instructor basically. Um, that, that um, sounds very similar to
1: my experience coming up. I, you know, I, a very traditional school, uh, practitioner and a very traditional martial artist in the sense that, uh, very militant, you know, feeling. And it was never like, there was never a formal, leadership curriculum that he mm. taught or like a, how to become a teacher, no pedagogy, none of that stuff. It was very much so just get thrown in the fire and just wing it until you made a mistake. And then they he would just come in and yell at you for making a mistake. <laughs> and then you would literally just learn but through fire. You would learn by messing up and by having to self-correct after the, after the fact. But mm. because of that, we, we lost a lot of talented, you know, high potential instructors because of that kind of heat. Mm. But I was fortunate to come up under some instructors who started to actually pilot and formulate leadership training programs to help, you know, curriculumize Mm. how somebody goes from being a martial artist to becoming a good teacher in the martial arts. Because it is not always the case that if you're a good martial artist, you're a good teacher is actually very much um, not not very much so, because it is true that there are some great martial artists who are also great instructors. But it is not, I don't think that correlation is always that, right? I think it takes, there are definitely people who, you know, I think teaching is a skill set in its own right is what I'm saying outside of just the
0: martial arts training. Yeah, you're, you're 100% right. Because uh, at my gym alone, I've been very fortunate to uh, train with some uh, Duncan McDermott, Ashley Cresswell, Nick Samways. These are guys, they were fighting. They went. They spent like years training in Thailand, fighting competitively. They've won. I think Nick um, was British champion, I think. Um, but some of these guys, they are f- far better martial artist than me far more competitive far stronger but as teachers they don't always have that same ability you know um to be able to to be able to convey what you understand you know understanding it and being able to explain it to someone else and being able to understand other people's limitations that's that a very very different thing you know and and certainly i think yeah like when we're talking about when you think about like some of the greats, um, you know, some of them, they just have this kind of unspeakable kind of natural talent that is is. It's not for me. It's I kind of intellectualize it. You know, the, the techniques I really try and break it down very logically. But for some people, it's like it's like it's more like a painting. It's it's, it's just it's just something that spontaneously arises. If that makes sense, it does. Mm-hmm. yeah you said you, you said you went to college so how what was that uh course
1: so i i never had the idea in my head of not going to college it was always an idea that was kind of just in, in, implanted in me from a young age and i always just expected to go to college i never really thought about not going to college um but it was also true for me that i pretty much knew what i wanted to do at 11 years old which is very uncommon i mean when i like 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 you can imagine when i started you know making progress and started seeing myself become somebody who was who I wanted to become. I wanted to, I was hooked. I wanted more of it. And I pretty much knew I wanted to become a martial art instructor because those instructors who I who I emulated um helped me to follow a path that was just so transfer transformative in my life. Right. So when I was when it was time for me to go to college, I decided that like it there wasn't a question in my mind that I was going to be a martial art instructor. So I decided I wasn't going to college so that I could go and follow a specific career path. I was actually just going to go to college so that I could learn some deeper insights and understandings that would help me become a better teacher. Hmm. So I started off in college learning entrepreneurship, which I ended up dropping. I didn't really like it too much because it was really more of like how, how to become a family entrepreneur, how to become a sole proprietor. It was like a how to kind of entrepreneurship program. So I didn't really vibe with what I was looking for. So I ended up dropping that and then I ended up uh, creating my own kind of catalog of courses and I took a physical education base. So I, I, you know, had all of the, you know, the the classes that you would look for uh, physical education. So healthy human performance, um, kinesiology, um, exercise science, dietetics, things like this. And then I I dropped all the classes on football, baseball, basketball, (laughs) soccer, (laughs) volleyball. I dropped all of that. And that opened up more room for all the other things like philosophy, psychology, a little pedagogy. I tried to add in all these different elements that I wanted to just pretty much learn about so that I could apply it to teaching at the school, which is what I did. And then I ended up graduating with a bachelor's of science um, in physical education with a minor in healthy human performance and exercise science. And that's what I took with me. And I've never used it outside the school (laughs) to this day. It has only been applied to the classes that I've taught
0: well that's amazing like um yeah um your students are lucky to have you that's really impressive um one of my students is um uh um he is a japanese uh he's a high school teacher but he did a uh he did a degree in uh, psychology and we're always talking about the the psychology behind competition uh mindset dealing with fear and anxiety and all of those kind of things that was something i never really thought about when i was younger when i was competing you know i was just kind of like trying to get psyched up and just trying to like you know like and uh, but that applied too much pressure so um so that's something i really focus on a lot more now is the mindset uh and the attitude dealing with um that not not fear, but anticipation. You know. Um, so you said um, it was uh, taekwondo. So let me try and remember these. Uh, uh, not not WF. I ITF. So not ITF. not not
1: the not the World Taekwondo Federation, but the International Taekwondo Federation. So okay. Yeah, so the, what's the ITF
0: distinction between these because you said it was closer to Shotokan Karate. Correct. So. Uh WTF is the uh Olympic style
1: taekwondo. So right. that's where they wear the hogu's and, and they do the um you know the back leg kicking and the forms are done with sine wave and a little bit of a different performance. Um the style that we practice has uh you know different a different style of sparring, much different than the WTF style. WTF is a lot of back leg kicking. Um we do a, a like a uh more front leg kicking and the contact is is um much different so it's it's still point-based and still uh point-based sparring but um it's just a little bit you know i mean it's just a, a different stylistic approach and the forms are done much differently much that's where you would see it, like a lot of like as far as the patterns the the forms go look a lot closer to like a shotokan karate style of of form performance and you know technique practice
0: hmm. yeah that's interesting because uh yeah, full uh, full honesty. I sometimes I've been a little bit critical of taekwondo in the past for that kind of um, just Olympic. Uh, you know, the, the focus has shifted somewhat just to, toward the more point based things, and it's the same in, in karate. You have some forms that are a lot more uh, just kind of point based kind of competition, then you have others like Shotokan, which are quite famous. For being right. a lot more like kind of hardcore. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. That's interesting.
1: Mm. Yeah. If I was to describe it to you, I mean, it, it is like, I guess, because I came up with such a strong traditional instructor, my instructor came from Venezuela mm. and he got a, um, you know, he was like a, a Venezuelan South American champion who actually came to Buffalo to go to the college in Buffalo, U- University at Buffalo. And he ended up getting a PhD in electrical engineering, but then ended up, um, you know not following that path of electrical engineering and actually ended up taking over a martial arts school from the instructor you know back in back in the day when you were trying to find a school to train at um you would go and you would spar all the the school owners and whoever you know was able to beat you or give you a good enough fight that's who you trained under and so that's what happened oh, and man, that's how good my
0: old days <laughs> that's,
1: and and that's kind of painting the picture for the person that I came up under so um, very I mean, full split tree trunk legs kick straight up in the air kind of guy. Mm. And, um, you know, when I was coming up as the early two thousands, um, you know, we would spar and it, you know, again, like shoulder like full contact to the body. There wasn't punching to the head. You could kick to the head. Um, but it was like, you know, full contact kind of stuff. And, you know, he would punch me to the corner until I got the wind knocked out of me and mm-hmm. kind of seeing how I would respond to it to see if I would break down or, or learn to step back up. And so that was kind of my upbringing and that was a little bit more of kind of like painting the picture for you like kind of the style that we would practice it's certainly not the same today as it was back then just because of uh the world and how things have evolved but uh that's our foundation in the style that i practice
0: yeah that's awesome that's the um that to me that yeah that's kind of the really the classic what do i want to say like the 60s 70s kind of um especially like american martial arts kind of image the uh, like dojo hunting like that's classic that's classic yes. yeah well to shift slightly i want to talk about your uh, your twitter account as well so you have your personal account which is that's that's how i connected with you but you also uh you're the founder of move me quotes which i believe has seventy seven thousand followers is that right
1: yeah, actually, just uh, just today we hit we crossed eighty.
0: Wow. Okay. Wow. And <laughs> that was just in a few days, right? Yeah. It's
1: been it's been a wild th- few months. I mean that mm. that account just recently started picking up a ton of fire, and I'm riding the wave right now and just you know continuing to produce content that seems to resonate and it's going really well. So knock on wood, I'm just going to keep doing what's been but what's been working. I seem to have gotten into a really good rhythm. Yeah. And um, yeah, just in the past couple of days, we just hit 80K and it's still
0: still going strong. So, well, what was your motivation for starting that Twitter account?
1: When I was in college, I started, that was when Twitter first came into my radar. And at the time, being a martial arts instructor and being somebody who was focused on personal growth and self improvement, um, I was always somebody who was looking for more insights and that desire to want to like gather more knowledge and insight came from the fact that as a martial arts instructor, um, you get put into some pretty, uh, I don't want to say tough situations, but you get put in these situations where you have to answer questions that you might not be ready to answer. Because I mean, I was hired to start teaching at 15 years old and I act as an intermediary between parents and kids a lot of times, cause I teach all ages. So a lot of times parents will come up to me and tell me I have to talk to the kids about bullying or how, how they can overcome bullying. And I'm, mm. I'm, I'm in school myself <laughs>
0: dealing with that. I don't know. That's a I lot of had, pressure to, that, at an early age.
1: And, and it, and it created a fighter inside of me because I, uh, I'm very much, um, I don't know. I'm an INFJA. So I, I, I'm the person who likes to have, you know, the answers, right? I just, mm. that's one of the desires. I just innately find myself yearning towards, so when people ask me questions like that, I feel like I let them down if I don't have at least something to offer them. So when people ask me about that, I was immediately the, you know looking for the right answer, so I had more equipped to answer it the next time. I would even have, you know, I would have parents coming up to me asking me about like marriage counseling questions, like how they can handle their like. That's just to give you like examples of the kind no. of questions I would get put into just because it was such a busy school and because I was exposed to a lot of different personalities and it was a very much character development based school. Like we're trying to use martial arts as a tool to teach self-improvement and personal Mm -hmm. development, like a character development vehicle. And so that's that thirst, like that my desire to um, have that kind of knowledge was kind of born from those situations. So in college, as I was trying to like fill my head up with this kind of stuff, Twitter came on my radar and uh, I was fascinated by this idea of microblogging and putting out content that was 140 characters or less back in the day. And so I was like digging my brain, like, what the hell can I say in 140 characters or less? That's going to be a value. And then quotes, it just came right to, like it fit right into the puzzle piece. Because if you boil down everything that people have said and you take like, just like a line or two from it, it's like the most, it, it's just like the essence of everything they said in in the most boiled down essential key point um, that has just a potent source of like wisdom that could just be shared in such a easy way. And I was obsessed with that idea. So I ended up sharing quotes and back in the day, they would pop. Mm. I mean, I would put a quote out, I would have like 200 followers and it would get like a hundred retreats. I'm not kidding. Wow! Like it would, it would reach thousands and thousands of people, but it was just because it was just new and it was just something that was just hitting the forefront of, you know, kind of people's, you know, radar. So that kind of inspired me and I started to really vibe with that. And so I wanted to collect them. I didn't want to lose them. Mm. And what I realized is that a lot of the websites that I would go to, to get these quotes from were awful. They were (laughs) God awful. They were literally just, you know, advertisement websites with some quotes stuck Mm. in between because they were very much so focused on just, you know, making. You know, making money and having a a reoccurring source of revenue, which is not bad, but it's it was just not appealing and I hated it, which is kind of what led to that entrepreneurial idea to start my own. Like I can't find any good ones, so I'm just gonna start my own. And I decided to approach it differently. And the one of the ways Move Me Quotes is different is it's very much so quote-oriented, right? I was ad-free for the first 10 years of me running that website, I only added ads at the later uh, stages of the of the the journey, only because of how expensive it got. And I was literally, I had to pay. I was only paying to put all this stuff out there because of just the the number of visitors I had yeah. at one point. Move me quotes was seeing five thousand visitors a day, and so you can imagine like what kind of cost that kind of you know incurred. So I held out as long as I could because that was the whole reason I started it. Um, But I ended up, you know, doing things that were very unique to the website in the sense that instead of like making lists of quotes and then just putting it out as like a a post in and of itself, I would upload the quotes as individual content items. And then I would tag them on all of the relevant topic tags. And then all of a sudden it was creating this web, this library web that has thousands of connections of quotes that were applying to all different topics and ideas, which had this really powerful... It became this really powerful online resource. And so, anyways, that's what started it. I started sharing those on my personal account. And then um, I decided to just give it its own house, its own place to you know reside. And that's where Move Me Quotes was born. I started building up that brand. And that started again. I remember the date I started it, it was October 10th, 2010. So, 10 10 10 was when I started <laughs> Move Me Quotes and started just uploading a couple of quotes a day and it's been about i don't know 11 years of running moving quotes at this point and i've got close to ten thousand just individual items of like insights and resources that have been cataloged and that's just been a 10-year journey of just building it one one quote shared at a time Mm -hmm.
0: it has been said um that anything you have to say someone else has said it and they've said it better Yep. <laughs> that's the thing so, some people yeah they like to kind of shit on just like oh reposting quotes or platitudes or that kind of thing but it has been said before and in such an eloquent and and so directly that's the beauty of these things is is there a lot of these quotes are written by uh, very educated very eloquent people and they convey often they convey very complex issues and complex ideas in a way that is very direct and resonates with people. So that's why, of course, yeah, you want, you want to learn from these people as much as possible. It's funny you mentioned
1: that I was just going to comment real quick. mm -hmm. Um, You, that was actually what led to a lot of my imposter syndrome as Mm -hmm. I was coming up as a writer. Right. So because of the fact that I was so obsessed with these quotes and I was just always uploading them from some of the greatest minds who have ever lived and and who are alive today. That I was constantly comparing myself to them, and I was in this this bubble of is like, you know, I'm uploading quotes from, you know, some of the greatest minds who have ever lived. Who the hell am I to comment on them and to write anything in relation to them? Right. So I had this this really uh, big self limiting belief of I didn't have anything to say in comparison to, and it took me seven eight years of not writing or commenting on these quotes I was uploading before I finally got to a point where I was just so saturated with ideas like here's the thing. Um, and this is a, f- a funny just side note. I wrote my first personal development book that I read was Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey classic. Yeah. And I remember finishing that book and thinking to myself, damn, like there is nothing that could, there's nothing else that could ever be said about personal development. He covered all of it. It's just the most brilliant thing I've ever read. And it was because I was so limited in my exposure to other knowledge, right? So I was just, that was all I had to reference. And so, of course, that's all I thought was there or that I thought could be added to. Mm. And that was kind of how it was for me for a long time where I was like, man, these guys are just so great. They do such a great job boiling everything down and the, the points are so well articulated. And I just, I have nothing else to add. But then it got to a point where finally, after seven, eight years of being immersed in these ideas, I started connecting my own experiences. And I started thinking about how they made, how the connections were made between different authors and speakers. And that's when I started writing a little bit. And then it got to a point where on January 1st of 2020, uh, which was not too long ago, I decided I was going to start taking these quotes and writing my own thoughts behind them. And I would take the quote, add a couple of thoughts. And it just like overflowed, like it just came, like it just I couldn't stop it, like it just came out from inside of me. Nobody challenged me to this. I literally just decided I was going to do it because I just had things I just had to say, I wanted to say, and I didn't put any pressure on myself. But at the bottom of that first day on January first, I just put one out of three sixty-five, and I I didn't announce that I was going to do this one-year challenge, but I just put that at the bottom, yeah. so as like to kind of like maybe a little like little little nudge to myself. And then that was the start of my daily writing habit. And I've been writing every day since January 1st, 2020. So that has been another key cornerstone habit that has helped lead to um, a lot of the clarity that has evolved from this practice, which has been key. So that's just funny you mentioned that because I did compare myself to all those great thinkers for a long time. And it took me a long time to overcome that hurdle.
0: I did exactly the same thing um, when I wrote my book because um, i'm constantly reading uh marcus aurelius nietzsche eckhart toll and when i'm writing my book i'm just thinking like this is trash <laughs> like yep. i am not as educated i am not as knowledgeable i am not as eloquent as, as these greats and I'm reading my book and I can just uh, when I just picture my book on a shelf next to these others, it's just like how could I ever measure up? How could I ever compare? But that kind of comparison, if you focus on it too much, yes, it can become damaging, but also to compare yourself to the best, that's what pushes us and motivates us to work harder, to train harder in martial arts as well. Like I said, I was training with British champions, with Thai champions, with world champions, and I would compare myself to them, and that would always push me to work harder. But one thing that is really interesting that you, that you nailed there is when you said about the connections between different things, and I think that is, for myself as an instructor, as a coach, as a teacher, and with my book as well. That's where my value comes in, because I've read all these different books. I mean, just on the topic of meditation and mindfulness alone, I've studied uh, Buddhism, Zen Buddhism, uh, Hinduism, uh, just mindfulness, the Tao. I've studied all these different topics, all these different sources. And finding the connections between these, finding the similarities. And he's like, oh, when Marcus Aurelius, when he talks about universal nature, uh, when Krishna ta- talks about himself as realities, like the connections, putting these things together. That's how, because the average person does not have enough time to go through the you know to to commit their life to this kind of research so when we can really go through these things and we can take out the keys put them together that that's the value that's the value because because like i said before everything's already been said everything has already been said but to be able to kind of put it all together and especially in in you know each each age is different has its different culture to be able to connect it all and to be able to convey that to people again that goes right back to what we said at the tu- at the start about the value of a teacher yeah right. being able to connect the dots for other people and present it to them in right. that way
1: i'll tell you who changed my mind about this was seth godin he wrote a beautiful book called the practice and if you haven't read it i would highly recommend it it's about shipping creative work and the one chapter he talks about in there completely changed my mind on, um, on comparison, right? And so what he, the idea he shares is that what we're creating is a gift for the world. And if you look at all of your creations as gifts, then you start becoming much more open to the idea of putting them out there and shipping them. Because like, like... If 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 I was gonna give you a gift, um, it would be my pleasure to give you a gift, right? I'm not I'm not comparing my gift to all the other gifts you've ever been given, mm-hmm. right? It's not like the gift that I'm gonna give you needs to be compared to, you know, the, the gift that maybe, you know, your 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 loved ones have gotten you. But when I started looking at it that way, I started thinking to myself, you know what, that's exactly what this is. This is not about comparing. You know, one person's ideas or creations to another. This is about just you know putting something together that's uniquely your own, that you can you know offer to even if just one person receives it well. Like that's the beauty of a gift is not you know changing the entire shape of humanity and and altering the course of how everyone thinks in the entire world and selling fifteen million copies. The real beauty of what we're trying to do is you know take our, our life experiences that are uniquely our own package them in a way that could be given to others who are in similar life experience situations that could be received in that unique way that they could use to help navigate the landscape of their life in maybe a little bit of a better way. And when I started looking at it like that, that's what made it much more comfortable for me to write every day, to ship every day, to start putting together these lists that had my own unique ideas and opinions behind them, and then to start writing this book that I'm working on. So yeah, that's the that's been the big mental shift for me lately is not looking them as pieces of of comparison that need to be better than everything else that's ever been said but just my unique gift that's offered from my unique voice that can offer people who are in very unique situations
0: to me that's absolutely critical one thing i learned when i was doing my personal training course um is that you know sometimes you can kind of get lost in the whole you know like sales and pricing and clients and and the whole business side of it and especially on twitter as well you know there's a lot of like high power businessmen you know trying to make money trying to all about sales all about financial success but one thing that my, the the person when I did my personal training course that he taught me is that if you truly believe that what you are giving this person is something that they need, then you won't, you won't feel so hesitant about, you know, the, you, you won't focus so much on the business and the financial side of it. And that's what, and certainly for myself, all I'm doing, all I've ever done with my book, with my coaching, with, with my students, is I've, I'm teaching them the things that I've learned. And I know for a fact, it completely turned my life around. Right. And if I'm able to even have a fraction of that effect on someone else, that is, like you said, that's a gift. That is right. truly a gift. We're just trying to right. share what we've learned, and and that's incredibly valuable. So it must be very rewarding for you. To, what kind of um, like what kind of age ranges do you have in your in your school?
1: We do all ages, and I I mean all ages. I mean we start. We have a three to six year old program for we call them little champions, and so the champions are literally just about using martial arts as a tool to teach basic listening skills, following direction skills and like getting discipline built Mm. in at an early age. We have a junior program, which is seven to 12 years old, which is also about character development and using martial arts as the tool for fitness and for just basic self-improvement for becoming leaders in their classroom, um, forming identity that could be done with them associating to like, you know, self-respect and building self-confidence and, you know, being, know strong individuals and believing in who they are. And and then we have our teenage program, which is kind of 13 to 17. And 13 to 17 year old, you know, program is focused a little bit more on starting to introduce more of the intricate self-defenses, um, starting to go a little bit more into detail as far as how to actually become a leader and how martial arts can use it as a like more serious tool um, to separate themselves. And even more importantly, you know, acting as an outlet for them to express some of their energy and, you know, um, anxieties and, you know, uh, you know, mental issues in mm. a more constructive outlet. Right. So having that's, a, like, that
0: was, that was what it was for me when I started practicing Muay Thai most definitely. And that's,
1: that's what we try to act as for a lot of teens, And they need that they need a safe place where they can express their energy in a positive, constructive way, rather than, you know, going towards other negative outlets or paths, and then we have our adult program, which um, goes eighteen all the way up to we have we actually we actually have um, uh, like eighty years old training with us. Wow. And so it's literally just like a, a taekwondo movement based class. I mean, they're not they're not sparring, of course, at eighty years old, but they're they're doing movement that's oriented and that's being done in a martial way, but. Um, for the sake of longevity and health and flow and things like this. So mm. all ages of the spectrum is what I've come up learning how to teach.
0: <laughs> that just just as a slight aside, that reminds me. Um, have you read Karate Do, My Way of Life? I have not. It is... Let me just grab it off the shelf here. So this was written by Ginshim Funakoshi, uh, mm. who um, he is famous as uh, transmitting uh karate from okinawa to japan and then to the world at large sort of uh during the war and post-war and uh, this was written later in his life and he really talks about the value of karate and how how martial arts shaped him and how he even continued to practice right into old age it just you just reminded me of that and i think you would really really enjoy this book i really i'm gonna order that right when we're done fantastic yeah thank you for the recommendation but yeah, and it's interesting. God, so many things you were saying there. Like, I, I love what you're saying about, yeah, that early age when you're three up. But yeah, okay, they're not going to be, you know, really um, nailing that kind of like high level technique, but instilling that kind of discipline teaching them to listen to focus to respect others to apply themselves to something like these are all universal qualities and this is this is probably far more important than i would say a majority of the stuff they're learning in school you know absolutely but then later on um having that outlet um for me I mean for me when I was at school I was always I was treated like okay you, you know you're an intelligent kid and some of this is maybe a bit easy for you but I I kind of had this uh this kind of issue with authority and you know not like I I don't I don't want to impress you I don't have any interest in appeasing the teachers or anything like that but I really wanted to apply myself to something and that's why eventually I joined the military and you know practicing martial arts so I had that feeling of I want to apply myself to something I want to commit to something I want to really you know I had that desire for the discipline the effort but those needs were not being met in conventional education right. so within the martial arts structure within uh, taekwondo muay thai karate i think that really has a lot of value for people that are kind of um dissatisfied with traditional uh, contemporary education does that make sense it does
1: and that's interesting that you that you say it in that context i um Again, I was fortunate to have started at 11 years old. The reason I got into martial arts um, was a little bit more. Uh, it didn't come from as deep a place as that, believe it or not. I, to be completely transparent, when I was a kid, I grew up on a street that uh, was just filled with awesome, awesome neighbors and awesome kids. Always outside playing. This is before cell phones popped, and so you know, we would. I would play football in the streets. I would play basketball in driveways. I would wrestle on lawns. And it would be until the streetlights came on. And when the streetlights came on, that's when you knew to go home, right? That that was my upbringing. And so I was always active. Um, I was always athletic and I was always being challenged physically. And then when I was about 10 years old, the neighborhood I grew up in started getting really bad and there was gang violence and there were shootings around the neighborhood from where wow. I lived. And so it started turn, you know, taking a bad turn. And so I was in, again, a fortunate situation where my family was able to move out of that neighborhood for the safety of the family. And I moved into essentially what I would say was like a retirement neighborhood. It was the exact opposite of what I had grown up with. And so at 11 years old, I was growing up in now, now a neighborhood. I had no friends, right? Because all my friends were in my old neighborhood. I had no friends in this new neighborhood. It was at the beginning of summer. So I didn't even have school to make friends. Mm -hmm. Nobody was outside playing. So I couldn't like go down the neighborhood and knock on doors or something. You know what I mean? Like, so I didn't have anyone to, so that was the first time in my life that I actually started playing video games. And I started gaming and I started sitting on the couch. And because of that, I had now, for the first time in my life, adopted a sedentary lifestyle. I started gaining a bunch of weight at 11 years old, which completely messed with my identity because I was identifying as an athletic, you know, fit, you know, always, you know, super competitive type to now being this overweight, self conscious, uh, you know, getting made fun of kid. And I was like totally in conflict with who I saw myself as. And so, being the person who was always obsessed with Ninja Turtles, Power Rangers, (laughs) WWE wrestling, right? Um, We were driving down the street one day and there was the picture of a kicking guy. And it was a martial arts school that just opened up around my neighborhood, around the corner from my, my neighborhood. And so I saw it, something drew me to it immediately. And that was the story of how I started martial arts because I was so self-conscious and because I was so, um, I would even say, I would even go as far as to say like in a, in a feeling of disgust with who I, who I was I, I was disgusted with how I felt and how I, that, that was like a motivating like force for me. And so, like I said, when I walked into that school and I saw these instructors who were just like the epitome of strength and confidence and conviction and you know all of that, that was what like got me into it. And that was the motivating force behind the longevity of my training up until this day. You know what I mean? Like I never had the best metabolism. And so I had to fight. To like stay in shape my whole life. Like if I was off routine for even two weeks, like my body showed it, like I felt it. So that was a a, a deeply motivating thing for me, and that's what kept. That's what got me into martial arts at a young age, and it certainly is what kept me out of the realm of bad influences throughout my teen years. So I didn't have that approach that you did, but um, I was lucky to have been in martial arts as long as I had to not have needed that kind of feeling to get into mm, it
0: right yeah yeah that's interesting the the image you paint of you know like playing out in the street um like oh god yeah like i so i was born 89 so i grew up in the 90s and i i had that kind of i was uh my mid teens when mobile phones really started kicking off. i'm also
1: but, born in 89 so we are in oh, the same boat
0: there you go. Yeah. So, um, yeah, back in the 90s, yeah, we we really caught the end of that. Um, so, we, we really, anybody born in the 80s, you have that really unique um, perspective of that we grew up during that transition from yeah. like no internet to internet, you yes. know. Um, so, we really, we've seen both sides of the coin. Yes. And um, I remember, yeah, you know, it's like kind of like a stereotype when you're a kid is like, oh, go outside and play, you know. Uh, but now it's like, no, seriously, go outside. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, seriously. Like, you, like, our parents did not realize the profundity of that statement when they said go outside and play, like yes. for real. Um, so, yeah, now. I'll be having my own kids in the very near future, and um, and actually, uh, just outside my window here, outside the office. Um, so this this apartment block is kind of like at the end of a street, and just outside yep. there's a uh, there's a few houses, and they they have these young girls. Oh God, they must be maybe six to uh, 11, 12 years old. And they're always out there playing. They're on their bikes. They're skipping. They're just, they're doing all sorts of stuff right here in the end of the street. And I love it. I'm so happy to see them out there doing that. And when I have my own kids. That's what I want to do. I want to have this. I want to have a neighborhood that yes. has a community. Um, yes. They. I, I saw a while ago, they, um, that house actually just out there, they had a funeral. So um, I bought some flowers and I took over. Never spoken to before, just kind of wave every now and then. But, you know, I, I took some flowers over because it's like I want to connect with the yes. people around me more. Um, not just for myself, but for my kids and for my family as well. So... it was absolutely
1: pivotal for me. Like if I didn't have that kind of like upbringing, I don't know who I would be today. Like the people, like those kids that I grew up with absolutely shaped my life into, you know, this, this identity. Like, again, if that identity wasn't formed at that age and like, this is what I think about sometimes about how sometimes kids come in and their entire life, they've been overweight. Like that's all they know. Mm. That's the only reference point they have. And so because they don't know what it's like to not be that there's almost a level of, um, complacency with it. Right. Because for me, I think the timing was just, it was just unbelievably perfect in the sense that as far as like, like building like that motivation goes, because I knew, and and again, think about those critical years of identity, right. Going from like born to like 10 years old, like that's like a, a, A fundamental piece of how you see yourself. And so I was just at the cusp of like solidifying that identity when it started like transforming into the worst possible way. And so that sharp contrast, like I knew what it was like, so I Mm. knew I could go back to it, but I felt the contrast. And so that's what led to such a deep burning desire inside of me to like want to shape that differently. And so I think about that. It's like a lot of that Like it's how do you teach that? Like, how do you teach that level of like commitment to self-improvement when that's all a person has known for a long time? You know what I mean? And I think about solving that question because I think there is a way. I do think there is a way. And I think it has to do with one step at a time, of course. Mm. And I think that you just boil it down to small tasks done over a long period of time that lead to the transformation that can then lead to a new identity. But I think that it's definitely a really tough thing when you don't have that other reference point to like base off of.
0: Absolutely. It's it's perspective. All reality is based on perspective. And when you have not seen outside of your own perspective, when you've not seen outside of your own perspective, anything else is, it, it, it may as well be fiction. yeah. Right. When you've not experienced it yourself, if you've spent your entire life being overweight. It's not even just about identity, but it's about some part of you deep inside will maybe not even really believe that that is possible for you. You know, you think like, right. well, that that's just, you know, like, I can't change the color of my skin. I, you know, that's this, this is just a part of me. Right. Um, So yeah, to give people that shift in perspective is and and show that when it comes to things like your weight or your strength or your confidence, that it is possible to transform your life and it is possible to see outside. And that's exactly the situation for me when I was a teenager. I I was so angry and I was so upset with so many things. But at the time, I didn't even realize it. Because I was so, for such a long time, that was just my entire reality. I was just right. like, oh, this is just what life is, you know. Right. And it's not until now, um, literally, well, I've been, um, I practiced karate when I was a kid, but I've been practicing Muay Thai for um, 12 years now. Right. Um but it's only over the last uh, five, six years that I've been meditating and I've been much more conscious of my own, my own thoughts and my own awareness that right. now I look back into my teenage years and I realize like how unhappy I was. Right. And, and it's not until I've had that, that perspective change that it really becomes apparent. Right. So yeah, it's, yeah, it, it's conveying that to somebody else and to giving them the confidence that no, you can change your life. It is possible. There are things that are possible that are entirely outside of your wildest imagination. How can you convey that to someone? Right.
1: And I think that there's that, there's definitely steps you can take. I I think, um, you know, I, I was listening to one of the podcast episodes you were talking about and having a growth mindset is the first fundamental i mean that that i i when i read carol dweck's book mindset yeah, i mean that yeah. was a game changer so understanding the growth mindset that i think that's a that's a fundamental key to the whole puzzle that you can in fact change how you think and you can in fact change how your body you know behaves in the world you just have to you know commit to enough you know actions over an extended period of time so that it it eventually tips the scales of your Of how you of how you look at your identity, and I think that that's a a fundamental key of it. But you know, we could go deeper into that topic if you want. But that's definitely a a part of it.
0: Yeah, when when I read mindset, um, at first it's kind of like, okay, yeah, I get what you're saying. You know, uh, fixed mindset, growth mindset. I see the difference. I see the distinction. I see the value. I get it. And. And I read through the book and in that book, she kind of, she does go over the same concept from like a lot, from like a different angles. And at she first I was, I was just kind of like, yeah, yeah, I get it. But the more I read it, the more I started to think about my teenage years and about my, especially my early teenage years, and the more I realized my own mentality when I was younger, and the right. more I realized, like how because I had a, a fixed mindset and I had a lot of a lot of pride, um, and and I, the more I realized how that shaped my attitude and how that limited my own growth, and so I really had to, yeah. At first, I was like, yeah, okay, I get it, but the more I read it, the more I how realized how it applies to me, and right. now when I have my own children that will be one of the absolute fundamental things that I will be instilling in my children is a growth mindset. And again, this is another thing that on Twitter, people like to kind of shit on that book a little bit like, oh, you know, this is like, um, mid tier stuff. And it's like, but it, the it is just so fundamental and it so is. vital. You cannot overemphasize that. Well, I would love I would love to keep chatting and we are rolling on this, but it is almost nine o'clock and I have a a student I need to see. (laughs) So I think for now, at least, we're going to have to call it there. But that was absolutely fascinating. And I really, really enjoyed that conversation. Thank you very much.
1: Yeah, so did I. I could keep going for hours. I think so. We'll have to we'll have to do a Twitter Space soon and, and entertain the full scope of this conversation.
0: Yeah, that would be a very nice follow up from this, and that would be a good opportunity as well to uh, to invite people to you know to ask questions and to engage with that because that's the great thing about uh, the Twitter Spaces is, is like the first part you can have that kind of like podcast, but then at the end you can like okay invite people in, have questions and interaction. Right. Um, but yeah, again. Thank you very much for that. I am looking forward to your book when that comes out. That's going to be a good one. And um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for, for this now, but thank you also for your contribution to the the Twitter space.
1: And thank you for yours. It's been a pleasure getting to know you and to see you know the, the body of work that you're coming up with. I'm really looking forward to following your path and to continue to connect with you in the future. So thank you for making the time for this today. It has been an honor to be your first guest um, on this podcast and I can't wait to hear it when it's done.
0: It couldn't have gone better. Thank you very much, Matt. I will speak to you again very soon.
1: That sounds great. Have a great day, Lewis.